You're listening to This Hong Kong Life, a podcast of stories and conversations with everyday youth across Hong Kong. Every week, we bring you episodes that reflect the unique bilingual nature of our city's culture, sharing the voices and thoughts of young people growing up and living in the city we call home. Welcome to Season 3. Our theme is Mental Health and Me. everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're really excited to start this new season with a guest from out of town who used to live in Hong Kong, but uh, now she's back. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, yeah, we're really excited to have you on uh, today. Um, it's a special season for us um, and we'd really love to hear your stories, uh, young people's stories across the city. Uh, so tell us, um, how did Hong Kong become your home? So I moved here in the early 2000s with my parents and lived in Discovery Bay for a couple years and then I moved to Japan for 10 years and after the earthquake my parents knew we couldn't really stay in Japan anymore so we made the move in 2012 and I stayed here since then so that was till 2016 and then I went to the UK for university but I just keep coming back. Hong Kong is really my home so there's no doubt about where I'm going to end up one day. Sounds really cool. I mean, I think, you know, Hong Kong is that way for many people. Um, So growing up, uh, what were some of the things that you really enjoyed doing in Hong Kong? I think the first thing in Hong Kong for me was how friendly and open it was. It was a very big shift from Japan. And it was just as easy as being go to the beach or go to the movies with my friends. So a bigger social space. So I think my favorite thing was even in year nine, every week, everyone in our class would go see a movie together. And I loved that closeness. It's something I saw across a lot of different schools and age groups, the very close-knit communities. And then being able to go into things, like my dad forced me to do sailing every summer. It built character. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And then Faust was my big thing. I was huge on theatre. And in Hong Kong, you could go to those huge theatre spaces and perform and it was so exciting for me. I think that there's something about theatre, isn't there? Like that you can sort of adopt a character and, and sort of play something else. Um, what kind of plays did you do when you were at Faust? Well, my first show I did in Hong Kong was Kensuke's Kingdom. And I remember that's in the, the amphitheatre, the, um, the Hugh in Wan Chai. And I played the grandmother and a hunter, so not very big roles. And then I progressed into bigger shows like Waiting for Godot and Romeo and Juliet. But I just loved it because Faust really focused on expressing yourself and emotions. So you really did learn about how to express yourself in a healthy way. And I think that's something most kids should get to do. Just learning about the different emotions and expressing them. I think there's something interesting that you said there just about it being a healthy way to express sort of yourself. But I think most people think about theatre and they think oh my goodness, I have stage fright, I can't perform, or I can't remember everything in front of so many people. How did Was that something that you ever thought about or had to confront? Oh, definitely. I think when you're a teenager especially and you're performing and you're in front of your friends, there's this kind of like little cringe and going, oh my God, they're seeing me do like Roman Juliet and you have to kiss your friend in a show. And it's slightly scary and embarrassing. But then it's a big push and I think that adrenaline you get sometimes you just forget it you go on that stage and you can't see the audience and it is just you there so that was for me I'd get really nervous 
and then I'd go out there and it was calm and peaceful. Sounds like actually a safe space for you then, almost. I think Faust really developed it quite well um, because they had very big groups and I was in stage group and we were quite a small one and, you know, it's been four years, nearly five since I left Faust as a student and we're all still best friends. Most of us have worked together and whenever we're all in the same country, whether it's the UK or Hong Kong, we all meet up. That's amazing and a big shout out to the Faust uh, team here in Hong Kong. Um, So serious question though, theatre or movies? Oh, theatre. I think everything is built from that and I get so bad with it. I went to the big oldest theatre in the UK in London and the cinema there is built from a theatre. So they took everything, the best parts of theatre, to make the ultimate cinema. So we've learned from it. And I just think the theatre has, has so many different influences. It's not just the ultra-dramatic. It's things like improv and being able to think on your feet. Yeah, I think um, when I said that I was looking at movies or theatre, you know, I was half expecting you to actually say movies because that's one of your highlights, you know, when you were growing up in Hong Kong. But it's cool to see what you've said. I mean, I think you make a really good point, you know. I think cinema has really learned from theatre. So speaking about the dramatics, we are focusing on the theme of mental health this month. And a lot of times people think about mental health and they have so many different perceptions about that. Um, For you... How do you see the topic of mental health? What does that mean to you? I think it's such a broad term because everyone has mental health. So I I think there's a big shift in how we handle it. And it's not just saying mental health is bad. It's actually now going into saying you all have mental health. You're all going to feel a certain way. You're never going to be just one thing. And it's expanding. I think a great example in movies as well was Inside Out, the actual physical embodiment of emotions was so important to show how they cross over and that is really what mental health is it's never just one thing it's your experiences it's your physical reaction your emotional reaction your behavior and it all comes into play Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important how we shift our language towards it Mm -hmm. so a really important one I've seen in the UK currently when we're seeing with student suicide and mental health when it's the most negative outcome for us we say we lost them to mental health instead of saying so it's shifting it to say something is happening but you're not alone so Alex tell me a little bit about your personal journey with mental health and what that's been like for you so I normally see my mental health journey beginning in Japan so I had a very bad experience of bullying and exclusion and that really affected my self-confidence so that was my mental health issue I was very nervous I was very reclusive I couldn't make eye contact for a long time and I saw a psychologist in Tokyo who I still am actually in touch with today as a more of a co-worker and a friend Mm. and she just really opened up my eyes to my own mental health because she firstly said to me it's okay to feel this way it's not just you people are going to feel really bad sometimes and sometimes feel really good. Mm. So she's always been like the kind of base in it, of me going, I want to work in this area. Mm. And then coming to Hong Kong was this huge peak for me because I was making friends, I was having a really good time in school and I had a great experience. And then I went off to university and it was such a huge culture shock to me because I've spent most of my life in Hong Kong and Tokyo And I remember the homesickness and just being quite scared, not knowing how to handle certain things. Mm. So my second year was very rough for me. I really struggled with my mental health. I definitely, things like 
you didn't want to get out of bed mm. and your lecture's recorded so you just kind of start like cycling around it going I don't need to go to campus I don't need to do this mm. and I was kind of stuck for a bit and it feels like a bit of a hole mm. and then I kind of clawed myself out and went right you're going to move you're going to make new friends you're going to join a new club mm. I basically forced myself for a year mm. to just keep moving mm. and then I finished my degree and I moved to Cardiff and it was just huge year COVID happened (laughs) but it was a great year and I'd made Mm. new friends I was in a new city and I felt like a new person Mm. and I was doing more of what I loved so I've kind of come around to the hopefully not the end but a nice plateau of being happy. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that I mean I think there's so many young people in Hong Kong who are struggling with cyberbullying, actually, and are going through that even as we're speaking. Mm. How did you find the motivation to recognize that it was not something that was good for you? And, you know, I think you were quite young then. Mm. How did you end up finding somebody to help you? Um, What motivated you to do that? Well, I was very lucky. I have very supportive parents who did notice that I was acting out. And that's the most common thing you see. When kids are are getting hurt they lash out and my parents went this isn't you this you're not happy and it's reflecting in how you behave at home and your marks and me wanting to quit swimming quit everything I was doing so firstly it was transferring schools and I went to a new school in Tokyo for like two years before I left for Hong Kong um changing to a new swim team basically making some changes and then my mum was friends with the psychologist And she said, you know, let's have just an informal chat. And I remember she had this lovely little study and you could just curl up on her sofa. And I remember crying the first session. It was quite a huge unloading for me because I'd kept a lot of what was going on inside. And I didn't realise actually how common it was. And looking back, I realised in Tokyo especially, there was a huge issue with bullying in the schools and I was not the only one. When it all happens to you, you do feel like you're the only one and no one else can understand it. And so this psychologist, Elizabeth, she worked with me for a while. And I mean, I still talk to her nowadays, mm-hmm. normally just to get opinions and do some research. Mm-hmm. But it, she was such a big figure in my life that made me go, you are okay and things will get better. But you do need to fight a bit for yourself. I think it's quite incredible when you do meet somebody who becomes then almost a lifeline for you um, in this sense. Um, How did you start to build that trust? Because I think, you know, a lot of young people feel like, especially when you're in that moment, you feel really alone, you feel like nobody understands Mm. you, and somebody comes into your life, whether it's a friend or a psychologist Mm. in your case, but how do you build that trust, you know, with somebody, particularly when you're Mm. feeling so vulnerable? I think now, since I'm progressing my own career in it, I'm seeing on both sides, And one advice I always give to people when you're seeing like a professional is you shop for it. You try a session if you can. If you don't like them, that's okay. You're not always going to mesh properly. And when you're going to be opening up to someone about your vulnerabilities, it needs to be someone you can say to them, I'm really struggling, and know they're not going to walk away and go, well, it could be this, you're overreacting. You want someone who's going to say to you, hey, it's okay. Let's talk about it. Let's think about how we can make today just a bit better so don't be afraid to push back if you need to if you don't agree with what your psychologist is saying or your friend is saying you can say well I don't like that 
so trying around and then I think coming from a psychology perspective where I've worked with some people in volunteer settings it's about letting them come to you you can gently nudge them but when you say to them well you have to come to therapy kids and adolescents just back off and they go nope I'm not doing this because they don't like to be told what to do so you need to have this equal balance between you because and I think that's something a lot of kids struggle with your psychologist is someone who's at least in their mid-30s and you might be for me 12 you don't have that balance there so you need to find a way to meet on equal ground Mm. and it can be a bit difficult but I think it's very dependent on the psychologist and the group so the support groups I did in Cardiff you know we would dress up as Disney characters with the children because they were missing out on a lot of the social aspects of life because of their disabilities. So by coming in as a Disney character that they absolutely adore, you meet them in their own world, and you go, I understand that you love Elsa from Frozen, and we can actually open our whole conversation with Frozen. So building it. At age 12 is when all of this really started for you. Primary school on the cusp of middle school, that's when the bullying was at its worst in Tokyo, you know, it got very physical, mental at points. And I definitely found there was a point where I broke and I started fighting back. So I do look back on it and go, I wasn't weak. I was never weak at any point because I actually got through it. It was a really awful point in my life, but I'm here now. I think you make such a really good point, Alex, about weakness. Most times, young people, actually a lot of people think, when they think mental health, they think, Weakness, or people who are struggling with mental ill health, um, it's a sign of weakness. Um, but I think what you've pointed out is not true. No, I think, you know, you have to be incredibly strong to experience any type of mental health issue, or whether you're just feeling really stressed and anxious, because everything is on a bit of a spectrum. And, yeah, you're strong. Everyone, you know, you will get through it. And I think it's sometimes the worst thing you hear from any adult, especially guy. things will get better. But it is true. But you do need to keep strong and keep fighting. So for me, when I was the bullying, I fought back. I got in trouble. I kicked my bully back when they kicked me. But that was the end point for me going, I'm not going to be hit by you anymore. Mm. And I never hit anyone else after that. But it was kind of that point for me going, you can do this because you just took down the person twice your size. Mm. And then you've said to your parents, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, I was very lucky they listened to me. And then I just I kept going. Mm-hmm. And it's like in my university when I was really struggling in my second year, you just had to, sometimes even when you felt completely weak, and you really just didn't want to get out of bed, you didn't want to shower, you just felt a bit hopeless. So one thing I find that really helps me is making my bed. It helps me process my day, especially when I'm on a bit of a downward spiral, I'm feeling a bit stuck. Because if I make my bed, I can shower, I can wash my hair, I can do something that is a little bit more self-care to me that'll make the rest of the day better. It's great to hear that you've actually done quite a lot of things that help you to self-regulate and to manage yourself throughout your day. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the friendships that you you had when you came here to Hong Kong. You mentioned that, you know, it was a higher point for your life uh, at that time, uh, that you were much happier as well. Share with us, like, how were your friends a part of that journey of your healing as well? Well, it was literally my first day at school here and I'd gone from no birthday parties, no real social groups in Tokyo for quite a while. And I got back and it had been a bit of a rough day at first school. You know, I came in the wrong uniform. I didn't have anything really set up. 
and it was a different school system. And I walked in the front door and my mum went, I've had six different phone calls already. And it was different students who'd asked their parents to call and the little parent phone book to ask me to come to a party the next weekend, to go to the beach, to the movies. And we were a very small group, there were 12 in our year group, so you were automatically really close-knit. And then, you know, we expanded over the years, and we've all gone on different ways, but there's still quite a close connection. Mm. Did you ever have a chance to share what you had gone through um, in Tokyo with some of your friends here in Hong Kong? My friends at Faust knew we did a lot of quite intimate work in the theatre, and when we were doing quite intense shows, sometimes we would talk about our previous experiences where we'd felt very alone, very sad, to kind of build and draw from it how we might present it ourselves. Because I do think it's very important to show that accurate portrayal of how it can present sometimes. Like for me, when I was really sad with the bullying, I showed it by being quite aggressive and withdrawn at points, where some fr- some people might find when they're really sad, they don't show it at all. They might try to be really overly positive. So it has a wide range. Mm. Um, a few of my friends in my school knew about it, but I tried to almost put it behind me because I was trying to... For me, it meant I've put a wall and I've stepped over it and I can look back at it, but it's not something that I was going to let affect me forever. Mm. So it was a process. You know, you can't just put a wall up in a day. So it was like a small line of bricks at first. Making eye contact was a huge thing for me. And in year nine, I couldn't do it. But by year 10, I could make eye contact. And mm. the stuttering was stopping... I was getting more involved and that was that wall slowly building behind what had previously been affecting me. Mm. It's incredible to hear your journey um, just since you were 12 uh, and now you are 22. Yeah, yeah? Um, It's been an incredible 10 years it sounds like. Um, So how has your experiences sort of led you to what you're wanting to do now in your career? You know all those experiences the fact that I had such amazing people around me, my psychologist, um, even like a school nurse, people who were always there to talk to me about something meant so much to me. And that meant I went into my Bachelor of Science in Psychology and then I loved working with kids so much and interacting with them and being able to be a voice to them as well to say, hey, you know what, it's okay to feel this way. It's actually really normal to be scared sometimes. And that just keeps me going. So now you are in progress of studying to become a psychologist? Yeah, I'm just finishing off my master's in psychological disorders. So still quite a way to go. I need to do quite a bit of mental health work, around, especially in the UK. That's a very special style of teaching there. And then the actual training course is around three years in the UK and then three years for the NHS. But the goal is pretty much to come back to Hong Kong It's been my anchor for a very long time. I remember when I got the call that we were moving to Hong Kong, it was just a, let's go, I'm I'm ready. And I knew what I wanted. And that's something I really built on from all those struggling times to go, I really want this. I want to get there. And visualising it, I think that's quite important to visualise where you want to be. Yeah, that's quite incredible. Well, we've had a really good time just actually being inspired by your story today, Alex. Um, and I hope that for those of us who are listening into the show today, that you coming away um, encouraged by Alex's story and also having some chances to reflect as well um, in case you or somebody else around you might be struggling with cyberbullying as well. Alex, as we wrap up our time with you, would you have some tips to share with sure. other young 
young people who are listening in today? So one of my things I do myself and with kids I work with is I call it my happy and my angry flower. And it's a really arty way to look at what makes me happy and what makes me feel sad. And it's a big flower I draw out and my circle, my flower is the moment I feel happiest. So super happy and then my angry flower is when I've been feeling my lowest. So for me, when I was being bullied or my second year of university when I felt really alone... And my petals of my flower actually talk about what made me feel that way. So with the angry flower, I talked about, I listened to really sad music. And I hadn't realized that the sad music sometimes makes me think about sadder things. So instead, my happy flower, I looked at happy music, upbeat things, going for a walk. And it just helps me figure out what actually makes me feel okay and get better and get me out of the funk sometimes. So... The fact is sometimes just washing my hair makes me feel a bit more human in the day and I feel like I can do a bit more. And that's the opposite of my angry flower where when I was in my worst point, I didn't wash my hair enough and I really wasn't looking after myself. It's a very good way to compare two really different points but give you goals and little tips that can help you get there. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a fantastic uh, resource and a way for, for us all, actually, to take a minute and think about our happy and uh, sad flowers. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been great to have you on our show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. This season is made possible by the Jockey Club Community Sustainability Fund as part of the Smart Youth Health Project. This Hong Kong Life is an initiative of Kelly's support group. We are a youth organization empowering young people to reach their full potential in Hong Kong. If you like the show, please subscribe and get new episodes every week. We would love to hear from you, so nominate yourself or a friend to share next. Leave us a message or drop us a note at hklife at kely.org. See you next time. Bye.